The sun's a shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove, beer showers. It's just the very best time for an old Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver, so ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you looking for a career change? Maybe COVID threw you for a loop. Maybe it's time that you did something else. Maybe you're just tired of working nine to five for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else. Well, our phone line sponsor, Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, is looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary. You do have to be a resident of Mississippi, but what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. Don't wait around anymore. It's time to make a change. So for more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas Chandler today directly through Facebook or his number at 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. Make the change. Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, the title sponsor of Talk of Champions. You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's up, it's up, it's up, it's up. Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley South, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. Today's guest on Talk of Champions, good friend of the program. It's Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. One weekend left for Ole Miss baseball until they open SEC play against Auburn. So Mike Clement going to come on, talk some Ole Miss offense and other things. Also, Ole Miss basketball opens their SEC tournament run tonight against South Carolina in the late game because Ole Miss only plays the late game, apparently. And then spring football's coming up. The draft's coming up. There's stuff to talk about. Brad, what's up, man? How you doing? What's up, Ben? Glad you're talking to Coach Clements. I want to. I can't wait to hear hear what he has to say about um, you know the the offense and where he's going with the bats, man. Doug Nikhazy is out for at least a week after he suffered a chest injury. They're calling it chest tightness for Doug Nikhazy. Drew McDaniel will take his spot in the weekend rotation starting this weekend. Gunnar Hoagland goes to Fridays. McDaniel goes to Saturday. 
and Derek Diamond's going to handle Sundays like normal. There is a question, though, of whether or not Doug Nikhazy is going to be ready for SEC play. When you heard that, did you freak out a little bit? Um, I, I did. I didn't really freak out because we're deep at that position, but it is concerning. Um, I mean, you, you know, usually when you hear the stuff, they try to. They, I feel like are they not trying to get us to overreact or what? Like, anytime you're missing a start, um, I, I'm a little bit concerned. You know, especially when they start talking about soreness, tightness, whatever. You know, so uh, I will say this: I, I found it more intriguing that um, McDaniel. Um, went to the Saturday role and not Diamond. So I, I think that says a lot about um, how good how good he could be. And I also think it's about Mike Bianco not wanting to remove Derek Diamond from where he's been for two years now. Just keep everything else the same. Gunner's effectively been the co-ace with Doug Nikhazy for a year and a half, two years now. So it's not like that's much of a transition for him just going to Friday. But if you, it's better to not have to overhaul the entire weekend rotation just to uh, make up for the loss of Doug Nikhazy. Leave Derek Dunn where he is. Gunnar Hoagland, that's no problem. He can pitch on Friday. And then Drew McDaniel just slides in where he's needed. So that's kind of what I think the thought process that is there more than anything else. Ole Miss basketball, I'm watching to see whether or not the bubble continues to go its way. Wednesday was not a good day. So Duke moved up nine spots in the net. Nine. After beating 2-15 and 15 Boston College. It makes no sense. None. I'm trying to make sense of the bubble too, but all I know is it seems like Duke, despite its, what, 13-11 and 11 record, is getting every benefit of that possible, while Ole Miss, it'd be a shock for some reason for any bracketologist to pick them to be in the NCAA tournament. With two wins, one over South Carolina and LSU, it is a bizarre place to be. I don't think there's any conspiracy behind the net. It's just math. But Duke... Yeah, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. But Ole Miss opens SEC tournament play against South Carolina. They should win that game. What do you make of the bubble right now? I know it's not your sport, but what do you make of the bubble right now? Um, I mean, I, I think Duke, I mean, they're getting the benefit of the doubt here. I mean, it's just because their name. How do you move up nine spots whenever you, you beat a team who's only had two wins? It's kind of kind of odd. But what, what are your thoughts thoughts on the – I saw Lenardi didn't even have us on the first four, um, first four out. I was yeah. kind of shocked. Number one of the next four out behind them. Guess what? Duke. It just shows you if you're Ole Miss, you have to do more. In any other year, this wouldn't even be a discussion. Ole Miss is being hurt by its lack of a non-con schedule. They're 15 and 10. They're 10 and 8 in the league. Had they gotten their regular non-conference schedule, they probably win 20 games. And in 2018, all it took was 20 wins overall and 10 wins in the league. And Ole Miss was in as an eight seed. So with a regular non-con schedule, Ole Miss is in. They're one of nine teams in the nation undefeated against top 25 teams. One of only three teams undefeated with at least three wins against ranked teams. One of only four net teams with eight quad one or two wins. And that's in the net 40 to 70 range. Missouri, Michigan State, Ole Miss, and Indiana. I get why Michigan State is a lock. They're Michigan State, and they've got enough of the numbers as far as net and quad one and quad two wins. But Duke? No. If you look at their numbers, they've got six quad one, quad two wins and nine losses. But again, if the NCAA can get it done, they will get Duke in because it's Duke. Now, of course they want Duke in. They want names it's just ridiculous that Ole Miss has this huge mountain to climb 
while Duke and Michigan State and North Carolina, which all looked dead a few weeks ago, well, as close as they get, or the closer they get to the bubble, yeah, they'll find a way to get them in. If you're an Ole Miss fan, you want Florida State to beat the absolute dog crap out of Duke tonight or today. That's what you want. They get their number 22 in the country. If Duke wins, they're in. They're in. But Duke beat Louisville, net 52, by 17 points. <sighs> and Syracuse won. You need Syracuse to lose. Ole Miss is contending with Syracuse, and the name on the front of the jersey, it matters. It still comes down to the same thing. The bubble is not going to come all the way back for Ole Miss. It's gotten some good results, but now some other results that aren't as good. So if you're Ole Miss, beat South Carolina, beat LSU, and you're in. And if you're not in with those two wins, you have a legitimate gripe. Because if you look at the other teams that you're contending with, you have a better resume than them. Xavier, I put up these numbers a couple of days ago. Xavier, so they've changed a little bit. Xavier, net 57, six wins against quad one and quad two teams. Boise State, 43 net, four and six. Drake, 47 net, six and two. Utah State, I don't get Utah State. They can't improve the resume anymore. They're net 48, and they've won three quad one and quad two games. Ole Miss has won eight. Almost at the time was 53 in the net. Now they're 54. No, I actually think they're 55, 56 now. Just beat LSU. You beat LSU, that should be enough. They're net 29. But God knows Ole Miss will be sweating it. You know how this goes, Brad. You know how it goes. That's, we think we know what Ole Miss has to do, but even if Ole Miss does it, there's no guarantee. Ole Miss had to win the SEC championship game in 2013 just to feel secure. Come to find out that the selection committee said, oh, you just had to get to Saturday. Okay. Well, everyone else, all the bracketologists, continue to say, oh, almost has to win it all. Almost has to win it all. So they just won it all. I don't think this team can win it all, but win two, that's what you got to do. It's the only way yeah. to take it out of the hands of people that obviously want to put teams like Duke and Michigan State and North Carolina, if they can just get manageable resumes put together, get within striking distance of other bubble teams like Ole Miss, they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think I think one thing, really, the only way to feel safe, and it's one thing, and that's one thing takes care of it all, and that's just winning, man. I mean, Ole Miss's tournament, you know, essentially starts tomorrow, so or or tonight. So, um, I mean, they, it's yeah, you just got to win and give yourself a chance to get in because you're definitely not getting in over the big names. If I mean, if it's close, they'll find a way to put a Duke or a Michigan State or a Syracuse over Ole Miss, and that's just that's just the way it is. I've never understood it either because the NCAA tournament, it doesn't matter if Duke and North Carolina and Michigan State, if they're in the tournament or not. Everyone watches the tournament. They don't watch the tournament for Duke. They watch the tournament for the team that beats Duke. They tune in for upsets. That's what the NCAA tournament, that's what makes it so fun, is anybody can beat anybody in an NCAA tournament style like the basketball tournament is. That's why everybody wants a tournament in football. It's no fun for the same four teams to be competing for a national championship every single year. No one cares to see Alabama and Clemson and Ohio State and for some godforsaken reason, Notre Dame, in contention every single year to be one of the four teams picked. What makes the NCAA tournament the best postseason of any college sport is the uncertainty, is the opportunity for anybody to be anybody. How fun would it be? We talked about this countless times on this podcast before, but how fun would it be if number one seed Alabama in football drew number eight seed Central Florida? 
Now, is Alabama going to win that game? Yeah, probably. But there's a better chance that they lose it than, say, the one seed in basketball losing to the 16 seed. Just give me some doubt. And there's a better chance that Alabama is not going to win three, four games in a row compared to beating a crappy Notre Dame team and then just got to beat Clemson once. I mean, come on. Or Ohio State once. Come on. Give me some uncertainty. They don't need Duke and Michigan State and North Carolina in this tournament to be interesting. They don't. And Ole Miss, objectively, has a better resume than most all of the other teams they're in contention with. Because I was looking at that, too, what Lenardi put out. His first four out, Utah State, their resume's terrible. I don't understand the appeal. St. Louis can do nothing else to improve their resume. So if you're Ole Miss, Utah State, St. Louis, they can do nothing to improve their resume. You can leapfrog them by beating South Carolina and beating LSU. Same thing with Xavier. But why is Memphis one of the first four out? Memphis has a worse resume than Ole Miss. Memphis is 53 in the net. Ole Miss is 54. Memphis is 15 and 7 overall. But they're 0-3 against quad one teams. 4-3 and three against quad twos. The only way Memphis has an argument over Ole Miss to get into the NCAA tournament is if they draw Houston in their conference tournament and beat them. Other than that, save for that, they have no argument. Louisville got beat by Duke. They're out. So Ole Miss, you're behind Louisville two, three, four spots. You can win two games in a row and jump them, jump Duke if Duke loses to Florida State. I just think it's so funny that Ole Miss is having a scratch and claw when you actually look at the numbers and their resume is better. They're just being dinged because they didn't get a non-con schedule. It's just frustrating. It's frustrating to have to kind of beat your head against the wall if you're a fan. If you're a media member and you look at the resumes objectively, and for some reason Joe Lenardi has Ole Miss in the next four out, and he's given love to Utah State, and he's given love to Xavier, and they've done nothing to not only pass the eye test, but math-wise, they've done nothing. Maybe I'm just worked what, up for uh, no reason. What does a Joe Lenardi, I mean, are, 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 do they make up this info on their own? I mean, how, how right is he usually? Not I mean, particularly. I, <laughs> not particularly. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't pay attention to the, to the bracket guessing, but... I mean, are, are these guys almost like a Mel Kuyper and a and a? No, it's I mean, it's more it? accurate than that. And there is okay. something to Ole Miss. I think is listed in twenty-two brackets according to Bracket Matrix, which is effectively an aggregator of all the bracket projections with an average, I think, twelve seed. So they're in twenty-two brackets. That's encouraging. But if you beat South Carolina, that's not going to do anything for you because they're net one thirty-three. Well, South Carolina's a better win than um, than Duke's, yeah, recent win. Yeah, you would think so. I want to look that up. Let's see. All right, I'm looking at the net. Go to the ACC. Where's Boston College? Oh, they're net 182. <laughs> yeah, brutal. It, Four it, it's and 16 a- overall, man, and they climbed I- to Duke nine spots. Hypothetically, say Ole Miss beat soccer line LSU. Where what what where do you think that gets them seed wise? An eleven. A play in eleven or just eleven? Just an eleven. They're getting absolutely no respect. I was reading, I think, the athletic, their breakdown of Ole Miss's NCAA tournament chances. And the sarcasm dripping in their analysis, effectively saying, Oh yeah, they're on there, but not really. After Vanderbilt, that should have ended them almost losing to Vanderbilt. But not if you look at blind resumes. And I'm not just saying this because I cover Ole Miss. I've been doing it for 15 years now, covering Ole Miss. I'm just looking at math. Math doesn't lie. And blind resume-wise, Ole Miss's resume is better than Duke, 
Syracuse. Syracuse is 49 in the net against quad one and quad two teams. I mean, my God, five and seven. Ole Miss is eight and eight. They're two and seven on the road, 15 and eight overall. They were 13 and one at home. Seven and one against quad three teams, though. I think Ole Miss doesn't have a great quad three record. I think they've got some losses there that's really dinging them too. Let me look. That's the thing. Ole Miss, yeah, two and two against quad threes. Losing to Vanderbilt. What could help you, though, is if Mississippi State beats Kentucky. Mississippi State could have really helped Ole Miss down the stretch had Mississippi State gotten its net into the 75 or higher range. Because if you beat a team that's net 75 on the road, that's a quad one. And then a loss at home to a net 75, that's a quad two. But instead, it's a quad three loss and only a quad two win. <sighs> Man, you really have this stuff pinpointed. You really, you really <laughs> quad and net and just win some ball game. Let's yeah, get just in. win. Just win, I guess. Oh, my God. Syracuse won. Duke won. Xavier's done nothing. Nothing to impress you, and it doesn't matter. But there you go. If Ole Miss wins two, it should be in. LSU's net 29. Ole Miss should be in. God knows if it'll happen. You know what would be the most we are Ole Miss thing ever, though? Losing to South Carolina. Yeah, that would be brutal. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't even be shocked if we didn't go in. I mean, this is Ole Miss goggles, but I mean, this, this is the type of year that, that you, they'd go and win the tournament. And you're sitting there where everybody's worried about you. And then they get the automatic. I mean, that that would be especially Ole Miss too. So oh, remember back in 2013, how Ole Miss did it, beating Florida, falling behind in every single game in the SEC tournament. Derek Millinghouse beat Missouri with his floater. Derek Millinghouse, remember that name? He's the one that sank the floater that beat Missouri. Then they beat Florida the championship game. Florida was one of the best teams in the country. But I was talking about Xavier. Xavier lost to Butler. Butler was 10 and 14. Xavier lost. Xavier should be off of the bubble. But here's Joe Lenardi. Where, do, where does he got him? Let's see. <laughs> Freaking Joe Lenardi. He's just so stupid, man. Yeah. Number three in his first four out. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I think it's a lot harder to kind of disseminate and figure out the criteria for making the tournament because of COVID what we would usually be judging these teams by. Not all teams could be judged the same because of you know outside circumstances that hurt them in some way. For example, Ole Miss was the last Power 5 team to get started. So that makes sense as to why Ole Miss would be getting dinged a little bit. Still doesn't justify it, but at least I understand it more. The problem is, is you have to look at blind resumes and just pick. But it doesn't work that way because you know the committee wants to reward Dukes and Michigan States and North Carolinas if they can get them in. Michigan State probably deserves to be in. But Duke, no. No. And yet Duke, nine spots in the net. <sighs> My God. Okay, so Elijah Moore, I was looking at this too. This is more your speed. I was looking at his scouting report. I think it was from Fan Nation. And I've seen predictions for Elijah Moore anywhere from one to fourth round. First off, is there any chance, in your opinion, he's fallen to the fourth? Um, yeah, I think there is a chance. He, he, here's why. A guy like Elijah Moore is really tough 
a really tough for um for anybody to put a projection on because all here's the thing it, it takes is he good enough to go in the first round yes likely there's going to be half the teams that are going to have an opinion on his height on, on whatever have some doubts there's going to be another half that likes his talents price of them but it's just going to take that one team i mean that you never know there may, maybe there's a team who thinks he is much better than than what you know what the projections are or maybe overall the um the perception is hey he's a little small i feel like he's a he's a third maybe late second likely third round pick i mean you think a, a dk metcalf can go you know late in second which i mean he did have some injury issues but still i mean it, it takes one team to love you to go in the first round if not i mean yeah i mean it, it would not shock me if we if we looked up and he went in fourth round and and but i mean i still think he's gonna be a productive player and a good player but evaluations for a guy like that can be all over the place and i, I think it's you know it's just a matter of it's going to be team by team basis when it comes to him six days ago cbs sports mocked elijah moore to the colts at number 21 and then today wednesdays we're recording this in their latest mock he wasn't in the first round i have no idea what to what to predict for him i think he's going to settle probably in the second round to third round range i mean that makes yep. the most sense probably it's only going to take one team in second round. I feel like he's a lot like Bobby Massey coming out. Bobby Massey had a lot of first round buildup going into the draft, and he fell to the fourth. Why did that happen, by the way? Um, I think that Bobby Bobby probably should have stayed at Ole Miss another year. Um, he was extremely raw. He, he, really, he really was. I mean, he was, from an upside standpoint, a, a body standpoint, like the whole – I mean, he was – the now i mean he was what you want to tackle um so i think the thought was there hey there could be a team that sees the potential in him and takes him in the first round and, and then you know m maybe there's teams that don't want to go down that route of the project i think that he you know he was just extremely raw and he went about where a a junior would have went that that wasn't ready so um he went on to make a really good career of it made a boatload of money but um yeah, I mean, I think if he stays for the next year and goes to a bowl game with Coach Freeze and, and whatever, he's the easy first-rounder. Um, but he just came out like a year early. Yeah, he didn't want to deal with another coach. He didn't want to have to break in a new coach at all. At all. I mean, he wasn't interested in at all. He was ready to move on. I think he just had a kid, too. So you know this better than me, but that's the, everything I'd heard is Bob was just ready to go. And life-wise, it was time for him to go. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he at the end of the day he made the right choice. Um, could he have helped himself, you know, early on? Yeah, probably. But um, he got in the NFL, and he's, I mean, he's going into year ten, so he's doing all right. Yeah, and he's about to cash in again in free agency. So good oh, for him. Three contracts. For sure. Three contracts. No one gets that really. You're talking about the rarest of rare players that get to a third contract, and you don't have to be a superstar to get to a third contract. But you have to be really consistent. And Bob's been really consistent. I'm getting off track here. Okay, so six days ago, like I said, CBS mocked Elijah to the Colts at 21. Five days ago, NFL.com mocked Elijah to the Houston Texans with pick 110. That's what I find astonishing is just the disparity in scouting and evaluation of Elijah Moore. There's no consensus about where he could go. So if it were you and taking off your red and blue glasses here, if it were you and you were trying to break down what makes him good, where he needs to improve, and where he should probably land, and you had to predict it, where would you put it? 
I would say he's probably going to be in the, just depending on who comes up in the draft, where people's needs are, where they see him fit. But I, I would say a safe bet would be end of second, you know, somewhere in that mid third rounder. And he's going to have to go to a team that, that, that uses their slot receiver, you know, in, in a certain way. I mean, he's, um, you know, so some teams that do some play action stuff probably aren't going to fit him real well. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's, you know, he's a solid player. He's, he's definitely, uh, I mean, uh, if he, if we, if we go to the draft and he goes in the first round, wouldn't be shocked, but that's going to take a team that especially loves him and sees, you know, a crazy upside for him. Um, but I, I think you can expect him to be in the, be somewhere in the third round. And, and if it's, they're, they're all going to, they're going to hit him with the whole, you know, he's not very big. I mean, that's all BS, man. A, a ball player is a ball player. If he can get up and catch the ball, he'll, he'll do just fine. It's funny you mentioned the Colts. He is actually a really good fit for that offense. The Colts, Chiefs, Eagles, you know, all those head coaches, essentially Bears, they all run the same thing, that same type of offense. And he really fits those offenses as well. And, and um, the Colts especially would be a team I could see him ending up at. Yeah, scheme fit me. Like makes a lot of sense with the Colts and Elijah Moore. Oh, right, yeah. But if I had to make you guess, Royce Newman, Elijah Moore, just take the draft – result out of it just elijah moore royce newman kenny aboa if you had to pick one to have the better nfl career or the best nfl career of the three is it a slam dunk that you'd pick elijah um i would say it's it's gonna be between um royce and elijah i mean royce being the fact i mean it's very hard to find one a good o-lineman and when you find a good O lineman, does he have the versatility to play, you know, multiple positions? Because there was a lot of times where I felt like there was, you know, guys in the room competing that were better than me, but maybe they were only better than me at one position. But the fact that I could play both guards, center in a pinch, left tackle, it kind of made me more valuable. And he's one of those guys who I feel like could, you know, if, if all goes well for him, it's all luck. I mean, it's all luck and opportunity and situation. If it all goes well for him, he could easily play, you know, ten years um, as as a really good versatile lineman. I mean, it's it's not overly hard to do if if you can, you know, add value to teams. Um, Elijah could potentially do the same thing. Maybe not as common for a receiver, um, unless you're an absolute stud. I mean, you look at a Dante Moncrief, Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Those guys are very good at Ole Miss, but they, you know, kind of been around a little bit and they're getting kind of close to the end, and they really didn't get near the ten year mark. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it would be between between Royce and um, and Elijah. Laquan's still the one that I'm shocked didn't work out in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, dude, you, it's all about where you get drafted, what scheme you're in. I mean, you never know. I mean, you, you, I'm telling you right now, DK Metcalf is a good football player, but the the best thing that ever happened to him was going to Seattle. That's a place where they 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 love when young guys come in. They they give you a platform to to be successful. They let you be yourself. I mean, who's to say if he goes to the Browns or the Falcons, he's not you know he he works out. You don't you don't know. Seattle was a great fit for him, and he has absolutely ran with the opportunity. And now he's you know going to superstar status. But you know who knows? I mean, if he goes to a different team, different fit, maybe that doesn't work out. And that happens a lot. It wouldn't surprise me if Elijah Moore statistically had the best career of all of them, but Royce had the longer career. Yeah, that's that's a fair that's a fair assessment. I mean, it's just it's really going to come down to fit for Elijah. You know, is the team going to bring him in, use him right? You know, 
um, you know, you can't draft them and throw them outside and make them, you know, run a go ball all the time and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's a team that totally understands them and, and gives them opportunities. I mean, you look at Ole Miss, he was, I mean, he was the offense when it came to the route. He was the main read on just about every, every, um, you know, every throw. So, you know, does he get that kind of opportunity in the NFL? Who knows? We'll see. You know, that's, that's all to be determined. Ole Miss Pro Day is set for March 25th. Does a Pro Day matter? Oh, yeah. The, yeah, it, it certainly matters. It, listen, everything you do in that process leading up to the, the draft or whatever, you're being watched and watched very clearly. Everything you do is being evaluated. And I don't care what anyone says. That it, It's the truth. They they look at what you do. So you never know. He could he could literally have be, talked to one team that is the scout may be absolutely blown away by his interview. It could be something as simple as, you know, just the littlest thing, you know, maybe some comments he says where they, they, they really, you know, get some belief and that guy goes back and pushes them to their team. And, and then he, he flies up the draft board and all of a sudden they want to work. Him. I mean, everything you do is important when it comes to this, it's the ultimate job interview. And, um, you know, th- throughout the process, you always have to, you can't blow people off. You have to, you know, put your best foot forward um you know because you never know all it takes is one team man. i mean you can only play for one team so certainly very important every team's odds to win the sec tournament according to 247 sports Ole miss chances to reach the semifinals 28.7 percent chances to reach the finals 11 percent chance to win the sec tournament 3.9 percent so you're telling me there's a chance oh yeah much that that's that's a good odds right there we'll take it yeah this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. He's Bradley Sal, former Ole Miss offensive lineman, eight-year NFL vet. If you haven't already subscribed, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. When you do, leave a five-star review. Doesn't matter what you say as long as it's five stars. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Going now to the Modern Women phone line to speak to Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. One more weekend. One more until Ole Miss opens SEC play against Auburn. But before we jump to Mike, see you, buddy. See you, Ben. Howdy, howdy. Let's hear from BNA Bank and Cheney's Pharmacy. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Oxford, Mississippi is always at its best in the spring and summer. The sun is shining, the square is popping, and you actually now get to go back to Ole Miss Athletics events in person. What could be better? But the only way to truly enjoy everything that Oxford and Ole Miss has to offer is to make sure you're still taking care of yourself, keeping yourself safe, and that you have a pharmacy you know you can trust. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the Rebels themselves. Cheney's Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there, hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221 or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at chaneyspharmacy.com. 
Make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. The Modern Woodman Phone Line. Cool, we'll talk. No big whoop. No big whoop. Where the best Ole Miss guests from far and wide drop in to talk the very latest in Rebel Sports. Modern Woodman, let's make a difference together. Going now to the Modern Woodman phone line to speak to Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett. Clem, how you doing, man? What's up? What's up, Ben? Good to, uh, good to be on, I guess, the first time uh, since we actually have a record. Yeah, 11-2. and two. Teams won six straight. What do we know about Ole Miss right now? Um, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, and, and only because it's sometimes it's hard to know before you start the league. I feel like traditionally with us, you know, a little more only because I, I feel like we, we generally play a pretty tough non-conference schedule. Um, you know, we've been beat up a little bit uh, physically. Um, but it's kept our head above water. Obviously the central Florida series is disappointing. And, um, you know, you'd like to have that one back, but, um, outside of that, we played great and, and, uh, uh, looking forward to this weekend and then, and then the start of SEC play for sure. What do you make of just the offensive inconsistency of the team stringing hits and runs together, sometimes getting shut out for a couple of innings and they respond with a big inning yep. and it's predicated pretty much on walks. What do you make of all that? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's some good and some bad. Um, if I'm completely breaking down the offense, uh, the good, our offensive numbers are, are, are very good. Um, you know, across the board, unless you just look at batting average, um, you know, we scored a bunch of runs over eight a game and, um, you know, the, for a, for a team on base percentage to be creeping up around 400 is, is, is great. If you, you know, combine the walks and the hit by pitches, they're like one-to-one with the strikeouts. Um, it's all of that is fantastic. You know, like the analytics people would say, that's, that's awesome. Here's the thing though, the, the, the reason why, um, we go through some stretches, um, in games, no matter who we're playing, where it's like, man, those, those two innings just disappeared and they didn't do anything, um, is because of the lack of hits. And so, um, I think sometimes it's more frustrating when we're playing, um, lesser competition, um, so it gets a little more frustrating standing in the third base coaching box, watching us not produce against guys, um, you know, without, without as good as stuff, you can almost stomach it a little bit better. Um, you know, with guys with really good stuff, the flip side of that is anybody that's played baseball at a, at a, at a, at a decent level knows that sometimes, um, you know, when a guy's flipping, uh, you know, 72 mile an hour breaking balls in there and, and throwing them all the time. Um, sometimes that's harder to hit than the, the guy's going to come after you with 93 miles an hour, like we'll see in our league. Um, so, I mean, there's some give and take with it. It's always a little bit, the numbers are always a little bit inconsistent. In fact, you know, our, our stats guys sent a, a, uh, side-by-side sheet of our last year's stats this time. Um, and it's eerily similar. Now, last year we went on a run from right now until we got shut down where uh, we were unconscious offensively. So um, they probably won't be evened up moving forward, but um, that's a lot of me talking and a lot of words to say, I agree. It's been a little bit uneven, um, but, but 
but but a lot of the pieces are okay. Uh, you know, if you just look at the broad picture, that the numbers are are still pretty good. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think really the crux of the issue here is a couple of guys really being up and down. And not to call out anybody, but speaking specifically of Hayden Leatherwood and Kel Baker and Ben Van Cleve, these are all three guys that you expected to be middle of the lineup guys that have been up and down or straight up struggled to get going through two plus weeks. So when you have yep. regulars like that that you were going to rely on not producing, it makes it look a lot worse than it is because now Tim Elko's come around. Hayden Dunhurst has been good since day one. Justin Bench, his hard hit rate has spiked as a junior, and that's a very encouraging sign. And you get Peyton Chattanooga back this weekend. So there are some encouraging things, but a few guys that you were going to rely on coming in, you knew you were going to rely on, they got to start becoming themselves. That's right. No, no, no question about that, and I think you can – the inconsistency that, that, that we're talking about, you can kind of divide um, into two two different categories. One, Chatney being out, um, and and I don't think anyone to a man um, that puts on the uniform is going to use that as an excuse. Um, but also, the reality of him is that if you if you ask me, you know, before our season started, I guess a month ago, right now, uh, hey, who are your three best offensive pieces? He would be amongst those three people, and so. Um, that's a big one. And it's not only him being out and his numbers being out, it's also who you're putting in there. And so it's been a combination of McCants and Garrett Wood and John Rice Plumley a little bit um, into that spot, not necessarily that position, but into that spot in the lineup. Um, and that's nothing against those three guys, but, but Peyton obviously is, uh, is, is a pretty special player that way. So that's part of it. The other one, um, and you're exactly right on, and it's hard to lump all three of these guys together because they have had varying levels of success or lack of success. But you're right, Leatherwood and Kale Baker and Ben Van Cleve um, aren't on some level or another. Leatherwood's numbers, if you just look at them, are okay. The other two are are, are not great. Um, those guys have have been uneven um, at best. And so, um, you know, need to get, need to get those guys going. Um, in particular, Baker and Van Cleve or some combination of that. And probably if I'm being honest, need to get Calvin Harris more at bat also, um, because I like, um, the consistency with which he takes in at bat. The hard part for our fans is, um, there's not a whole lot of sample size to see with, with Cal because he's only had 10, 10 at bats and, um, you know, it's, it's hard to know with him. So, but I think he's another piece that moving forward um, is going to take really good at bats off really good pitching. Um, it's just hard to get him consistent at bats because he can't throw. So he only has one position um, and that's DH um, as far as, as far, as far as that goes. So um, kind of went a couple different directions with the one question, but um, I largely agree with, with what you're saying about getting getting those three guys going. See, but you going in all different directions is good for a podcast. That's why I bring you on. I told you this before we recorded. <laughs> I can just throw something to you, and you can give me a long-winded answer, and that's perfect for now. When those three guys in particular, as a hitting coach, when you're breaking them down, when they're going right, what are they doing well? Long-winded, first of all, uh, is one way of putting it. I don't. I don't think that's exactly how you said it before we before we got on the air. Anyway, uh, back back to your question. Um, when those guys are right, Van Cleve, it's pretty easy. When he is right, he is going to hit every fastball that is over the white part of the plate. He's going to swing and miss a little bit at the breaking ball. Um, but what he hasn't done, and it's not like he's gotten blown up by fastballs, but 
um, if you watch him and he's fouling a bunch of fastballs off, which naturally is going to happen a little bit, um, but if he's fouling a lot of them off, um, he's probably not just right because where he's really gifted, and I think people sometimes don't see this um, because of what his body type looks like, is he's a really gifted hitter. And so, like, from from the, the black of the plate on the outside to the black of the plate on the inside, all, you know, 17 plus another inch of the black, 18 plus another inch of the college strike zone. So if you throw it in that 20-inch span and it's a fastball, he, he can hit it from foul pole to foul pole. Um, and he just typically will dominate a fastball. He hasn't done a great job of that. You know, he's fouled some of those pitches off um, and just hasn't really dominated the fastball like he typically um, does. Uh, with Kale, it's a little bit of, uh, I think, you know, unevenness with, with being rusty, with having COVID, missing Texas, and then trying to work back into it. Um, you know, I, there, there is definitely some swing and miss to him, and there's some similarities to Van Cleef in that. Um, he hasn't been as good against the heater either. Uh, Woody Leatherwood is a little bit different. Um, he's a guy that can kind of hunt breaking ball, can kind of hunt change up. He's one of the few guys on our team that um, will sometimes look off speed. Um, and I think he's gotten a little bit too much that way where he's gotten in between some pitches. Now he's been a little bit better than those other two guys. As far as the numbers go, had a couple hits last night. Um, but and, and his, his is more of a chase because I think he sees breaking ball. Okay. Um, he knows he can hit breaking ball and some guys can't do that very well, but he's, he's pretty gifted that way. Um, but what comes with that is seeing breaking ball, but you get, you know, no one's going to hit the breaking ball that bounces at 59 feet. And so he's, he's probably chased a little bit too much as far as breaking balls go. Um, but I feel like his trajectory is moving in the right direction. Whereas probably we need to get those other two guys going. If I'm just being, completely candid with that when Peyton comes back does he immediately just slide back into leadoff or is there a place for him at two have y'all kind of thought about all scenarios in regards to where he could hit considering what the lineup has been for two plus weeks yeah um we've knocked we've knocked that around a little bit I don't think we've settled on anything I think if I'm again just being honest um some of the things we're knocking around with that are um because Bench has swung it so well, do you leave him and Peyton up and move Gonzo down a little bit, maybe into the somewhere in the five, six, seven? Um, I think ideally, um, for me, just having been around these guys for a long time, I would still feel confident with with Peyton and Gonzo at the top and, and sliding Bench down a little bit and kind of stretching out our lineup. The hard part with doing that is Bench has been better than expected. Um, up there um, has done a really nice job. Obviously, you talk about the hard hit rate. Um, he takes walks. He takes hit by pitches. He's on base, um, and and will hit with with a little bit of juice too. And so, um, it would be hard to move him out of the one or two immediately, um, just because of how well he's he's been swinging it. Um, so anyway, we haven't we haven't landed on anything yet. Peyton has taken BP. He's taking ground balls. Um, I think we'll, you, you know, I think you'll see him in action this weekend. I don't know what that looks like if we DH him a game or if we just roll him out and let him play second base. Um, but I think he, he goes back in there and um, probably at the top. I don't, I don't think, I don't think we 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 put him down. It's important for him to get some at bats um, this weekend and be ready for SEC play for sure. Mike mentioned that he could have played against Alcorn State, but he wanted to 
hold him out a few more days just as a precautionary measure. When you've seen him in practices, does he look like Peyton Chatagnier? Is he looking like he's full health? Well, he he dang sure sounds like Peyton Chatagnier. I'm telling you what, like <laughs> for my mental health, we got to get that kid out of the dugout. Like, um, oh, my crazy. goodness, he never stops talking. Uh, and I mean, this is a compliment. Like he is the energy. He makes us go all of those things, but make that kid stand next to you for two straight weeks, watching games. Like <laughs> he's got some attention, um, problems. He, you know, when in doubt, most of us just keep our mouth shut and he's the opposite. When in doubt, he's going to talk. Um, and so like, I've had to send him down to the other end of the dugout, try to give him parts to keep. Um, none of it works with the exception of putting him like 200 feet away from me out at second base. So hopefully we're able to do that this weekend. Um, because he can drive, he can drive you crazy. Uh, I joke with all of that. Uh, the real, well, he sounds question, just he, he like me, really... Mike. He sounds just like me. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, the real answer to that is, um, if you would ask me this a week ago, I would say, I don't know that he can, I don't know that he's ready. Um, I don't know that he'll be ready in a week. Um, he's made a lot of strides in the last week. And again, I don't pretend to be the trainer, the guy who's rehabbing him, but man, it looks normal. Um, man, I, I, you know, part of his rehab protocol has been to, to run the bases and watching him run first to third. Um, it looks a hundred percent. Um, so, and it's tough with a hamstring, you know, Kessinger had it a couple of years ago that if you don't get it right, it's just going to nag you all year. And it would be one thing for it to nag, um, you know, Kale Baker, um, who doesn't maybe depend on his legs like, like Peyton does, but the way he plays the game, um, we don't want it to nag. And so uh, we need him to, to, to be completely healthy coming back or as close to it as, as, as he can possibly be. And I think he's getting to that point. Without him, you've played TJ McCants, Garrett Wood, but a lot of TJ McCants, one of a number of yep. freshmen that are really talented and you expect a lot out of and are the future of this program, including Jacob Gonzalez. How tempting is it just to throw TJ McCants in there and leave him in there and ride with him, just knowing what the potential is? Because from an outside perspective, just from watching games, I don't know baseball like you and Mike Bianco don't even pretend to. But looking at that kid, it'd be tempting just to take the potential, roll him out there and just find a spot for him and play him. Is that somewhat tempting at all? We'll get right back to Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach in this edition of Talk of Champions after I tell you briefly about Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. Finally, at long last, Oxford is getting back to normal. The sun is shining. Those dreary winter months, they're behind us. Better yet, you actually get to experience Ole Miss athletics events in person. What a world. What better way to get there than in a new car, truck, or Jeep? The only place to go for your next vehicle is Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. They'll take care of you. And I know because I've bought a car there myself. And the experience was too easy. Seamless even. Their only goal is to get you in the vehicle you've always wanted at a good price. So reach out today. Don't wait. Give them a call. 662-234-8000. That's 662-234-8000. Or stop by and see them in person at 2201 East University Avenue. That's 2201 East University Avenue. Just past Kroger. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Sheep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. Yeah, absolutely it is. And, and he's held his own. He's had solid at-bats. Um, 
I think some of the hard part is, you know, where does he play? Um, and I think the immediate uh, answer um, would be would be send him out to the outfield, maybe, um, and and let him play out there. We've given him a first baseman's glove and just to see what he can do over there. Um, we've made him catch some fly balls. And I think I think everything's on the table because we need to work to continue to get him at bats. Whether that means he's an everyday guy or whether that means um, you know he platoons somewhere or anything in between. Um, I think, I think we got to work to get, get him at bats because number one, he's earned those at bats. I think he's filled in pretty admirably. Um, like you said, he's gotten most of the at bats. Um, and he's, he's been competitive. I mean, I think it's hard to go just off of whatever he's got 20 at bats off of, off of statistics. But I think anybody, like you said, that, that, that sits and watches with a, with a real interest knows that, Hey man, this, this guy looks pretty competitive in the box. They put him into a tough situation where he didn't have any at bats opening weekend, I don't think, and then was pretty much the starter after that. Um, and I think he held his own pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I think I think there there is um, there will be a concentrated effort to 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 get him at bats. Where, where how that takes off, probably some of it depends on how some of these other guys go um, and how well he continues to produce with the at bats that he has. That's the thing. You got a week before SEC play, and there's so much you want to learn. You want to see more T.J. McCants. You maybe want to see Trey LaFleur get a little bit of a run just to see what he is over a period of time. Maybe you want to see more out of Kel Baker and Ben Van Cleve and Hayden Leatherwood like we talked about. Is that really for y'all as coaches what makes it hard as you head toward SEC play? There's so many things you want to know, but there's not enough time? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I think every year we think – going into the year, hey, we got these four uh, weeks of non-conference play, and we'll figure a lot out. And I think oftentimes we do. We do figure a lot out. Uh, but I think in all of my time, uh, it's not all figured out at that point. Uh, and I feel like Mike does as good as any head coach that I've worked for at you know switching it up and changing the pieces in those four weeks. But so often, number one, you don't want to give up any, any losses um, by doing that. And, and number two – you never have it all figured out. You just don't. Um, and so some of those, those parts and pieces will, will continue to move. Um, whether it be, you know, McCants getting Calvin Harris at bats, trail of floor, all of those, uh, you know, and then continuing to try to get Gale Baker going, get Van Cleve going, all of those things, I think, uh, are probably as we sit here, you know, taping the podcast, talking on whatever day it is, Wednesday, um, with five games left until we, until Auburn comes to town, um, you know, I think some of those things are still unanswered and, and hopefully some of it pans out over the next five games. But um, if not, you know, sometimes it goes a little bit into SEC play. And I, I feel pretty confident that our lineup against Auburn next Friday will be different than what our lineup is, you know, whoever we play the last weekend um, of SEC play it probably won't be the same. So, well, one thing that has been figured out and you called it the preseason is Hayden Dunhurst from day one has been good and he's now batting third and he's been the one constant. I think now he's batted third, six straight games or something like that. And he's not slowing down. Yeah. He uh, deserves a ton of credit. He really went to work. It's funny, you know, a little less than a year ago, we get, we get shut down and his father who, who is 
coached, uh, helped coach his high school team, coached a little bit of his summer team, um, had some really solid baseball knowledge. He, he called me at some point and said, Hey, what, what do we need to work on? This is probably April. Um, and it was kind of basic baseball. Like, Hey, listen, Bob, I think, I think what Hayden's got to get better at, and he, he, he had a pretty decent 17 games, uh, is the ability to use the whole field. And, and this is, it sounds so elementary swing at strikes and take balls. Um, Hayden is a guy that even in batting practice, if I throw a pitch, um, off the plate, he's going to swing just to swing. Um, and I give the t- kid a ton of credit. The first round of BP that he took once we got back all the way back in August, he's like, Hey coach, can I go all middle away here? Meaning drive the ball the other way. Something that he, at least a year ago, really struggled with from an approach standpoint, um, and hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped, um, and, uh, deserves a ton of credit for that. And I think the other thing with, with him, and I know you interviewed him probably recently and, and in the past, whether it be post game or for a feature or whatever, um, he's a kind of quiet kid and he's got humility to him, but he knows he's really good. Um, he, he, he knows it. And, uh, I think he just has taken the next step. Uh, he was obviously a, a highly regarded recruit and, all of those things. And I think he's just taken the next step offensively. Um, did I think that he would go however many plate appearances, probably 50 plate appearances and walk for 14 times, get hit by four pitches and only strike out once. Um, I would be lying if I said it was going to be that good. Um, yeah, he's just, he's just seeing it really well. Um, and, and it's just kind of taking the next step as a, as an offensive player to go with ridiculous defense. Yeah, it's not um, we've, like we've he's been that way since day one. It's not like he's making contact just for the sake of making contact either. Like the strikeout numbers being what they are also comes with good contact. And that's when you know that the guy's just locked in, right? No no question. No question. And he's taking pitches he's taking pitches now that, you know, he would have swung out a hundred times out of a hundred a year ago. And he just he deserves a ton of credit because he went to work on, on his approach and Oh, man, it's fun to see when when it pays off for guys, and it's paid off for him, for sure. One thing that Mike said he wanted to see improve going into SEC play was eliminating those base running mistakes. Now, you obviously are going to be aggressive at third base, but are you tempted to be more aggressive at third base? And it's not just mistakes, you know, trying to go and score at home, but on the bases, too. That has nothing to do with you. But for you in particular, is it – being a little bit more aggressive and sending guys when the runs are hard to come by. So you got to take more chances. What's the philosophy there when you're trying to make those Uh, in the game adjustments and decisions at third base? Yeah. Um, a lot of it's personnel. Um, you know, like last night we were just atrocious on the bases and it wasn't necessarily when run and, (laughs) and when not to like, you know, there's no outs and we got Leatherwood and Kale Baker, um, at, at first and second who, who have never been, you know, accused of being Ricky Henderson and Baker just, you know, probably, you know, there are like four base running mistakes all in one play. And, um, you know, Baker was just over aggressive, which we'll take over aggressive, but then get, gets hung out to dry in the middle. He tries to advance to third and Leatherwood doesn't go to second, you know, just some, some maddening elementary type things. Um, as far as me and, and like, uh, running the offense and, and, you know, being a traffic cop over there, you know, um, I'm always going to err on the side of being aggressive. Yes. And, and here's the thing, especially 
um, with two outs, you're going to, you're going to send guys because the percentages of them being safe at the plate are way higher than the next guy getting a hit. That's just, that's me doing the numbers. And so, um, you know, I try to, I try to be smart with the analytics of it. Obviously within the situation, you can't, you can't lean on the analytics of it. Um, and the, the thing is when it's a deep relay, home plate's not moving and it's really hard for guys to play catch. And we're going to be safe way more than we're out. Uh, obviously it really frustrates some, some guy up in like section M I think it's M or K uh, whenever we are out on the bases and it's always my fault, which I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate his, his passion, whoever that guy is. If you listen to the podcast, I appreciate your passion for Ole Miss baseball and your frustration with uh, number 30 in the third base coaching box. But we try to, uh, we try to play the numbers and, and hopefully with no outs or one out, um, I'm going to hold guys a little more, but, but to your point, um, if we get into a scenario, we scored a ton of runs this year. Uh, I think we're probably averaging over eight a game. If we get into a scenario where, um, we don't score as much. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes it's human nature to, all right, if, you know, if I feel like we're not getting the number of hits that, that we need to drive in runs, uh, I need to press it and be a little more aggressive. Um, so there's some, yeah, there's some give and take uh, during the, the ebb and flow of the game that, that, that goes into that. But Mike is right. Um, I don't know if he said it post-game last night or when he said it. We do need to be a little bit better on the bases, not just um, not just when to go and when not to, but, but understanding situations as far as reading ball and dirt, uh, who's at the plate when you're running the bases, and do you really need to go first to third? Because oftentimes with the exception – of me sending a runner home, it's on, it's on those guys. You know, I think they, they can be, uh, their, their, their own coach and we give them a ton of freedom that way, way more than I can. Now sending home is me only because of the plays behind them. They need that. But going from first to third, oftentimes, unless the ball is behind them down the right field line or something, uh, that's their read. And so, um, some of that, we just need to continue to know game situation score, who's hitting, you know, if Elko's 10 for 17 in the national player of the week and he's coming up, um, you know, probably let him hit. No, you're making my point for you. I was going to defend that part about on the bases. It's the read of the players. A lot of the time, just ball off bat and knowing when to go and where to go and when to stretch it. And Kel Baker, love you, buddy, but chill. You know, you're not, you're not going to beat anybody <laughs> in a foot race. You know, just get to your spot and hold on. Plant, plant your flag at second. That's right. He's a little more. He's a little more what we would call station to station yeah. um, than 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 some guys. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, Doug Nikhazy had chest discomfort. Mike says might be a week, maybe a little bit longer. You just don't know because it's the chest. But um, as far as Drew McDaniel, I know you don't deal every single day with the pitchers, but Drew McDaniel sliding into the weekend. He's the next guy up. The confidence level in him and how far he's come developmentally to get to a place where. Yeah, you're next man up. You can slide right in, even when Doug goes down. And Gunner being Gunner, you feel completely confident in him stepping in on Friday nights. If Doug does miss a little bit longer than just a week, how far has Drew come to feel comfortable like y'all are with him? It's hard to replace Doug and what he's meant over the last couple of years to us and what he is, um, you know, to our club. Uh, it's amazing how much confidence runs through our dugout and through our locker room when when it's when it's time for him to pitch. Um, and, and so, you know, you're always going to miss him. Drew, um, 
it's remarkable, has always had like elite stuff, like just as far as stuff goes. Um, it's always been really, really good. Um, he just hadn't put it all together. I think he went through some of the typical freshman angst last year, you know, where, Hey, do I really belong here? Um, can I really get out and kind of, kind of feel for it a little bit, not throw as many strikes as what, as, as what he can. And, you know, I think that's normal. I think we've seen it and you and I have talked about it and mostly in position players, um, just because of what, what my job responsibility is, but it, but it happens to everybody. Uh, or, or maybe not everybody, but all positions. And so um, I think he's over that. I don't think, I know he's over that. And he has been really, really good. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you combined the fall and the spring inner squads, I think there's an argument to be made without having the stats in front of me that he was our, he was our most dominant pitcher. Um, our guys got to Doug and got to Gunner, not a ton, but a little bit. Um, I feel like he dominated every single time he went out. He is again, kind of, kind of what we talked about with Dunhurst a little bit, and he may not have been as high profile of a, of a recruit as, as what Hayden was, but very similar as far as just taking the next step in his progression. Um, so I say all that to say, I think the people in this office are supremely confident that, um, you know, he can slide in there and, and get it done. Um, the hard part is we know, Doug can get a ton. You know, he's he's got a lot of skins on the wall as far as um, you know, SEC play, uh, pitching in, in big situations, pitching in regionals and all that. So there's a confidence that comes with that, um, that I don't wanna, you know, be flipping about. I, I think we all know that. Um, but I think we're we're all uh supremely confident that Drew uh will fill his shoes however long, you know, Doug misses. What surprised you about this team in two weeks? Um, I, that's a great question. Um, I don't think a ton has surprised me. Um, you know, I, I knew that we would uh, play with, with this infectious energy, um, you know, which, which you wrote about a ton over the, over the quarantine last spring. And I think we still have that. And that's really fun, man. They, it is really enjoyable to come to the ballpark with this team. Um, and, but, but I knew that, um, or I felt that. And it, you know, the only thing I didn't know is, Hey, once you get, you know, kicked in the teeth one time, which we did with the central Florida series, um, are they still going to have that same attitude? And they do, um, you know, and so that's, that's really good. Um, and, and I appreciate some of the, the, the veteran guys talking about Elko and Kevin Graham and guys who have been around the block who maybe didn't get off to great starts um, and have still continued to be really, really good in the clubhouse. And, uh, and obviously have started to get it, get it going offensively too and be solid pieces. So um, I don't know if I answered the question, right. I don't know if I'm completely shocked with, with anything thus far, um, you know, ask again a month from today with a, with a few weeks of sec play under our belt, you know, maybe something changes, but Still feel really good about our pitching staff and the depth there and the stuff and feel good about our offense. Continue to score runs and, um, you know, most of our offensive numbers are, are, are really, really good. And um, hopefully we can, we can step up and get a few more extra base hits and hit a few more balls out of the yard. But um, I feel pretty good about where we're at. I really do. Yeah, I'll just ask you in a month because effectively you're a co-host of this show at this point. So You got it. I'm always here for you. He's Mike Clement, Ole Miss baseball hitting coach. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. You got it.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.